the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, the way Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 6, you are a slave, you are a slave, one way or the other. So here are your two options. You can either be a slave to sin, or you can be a slave to righteousness. Romans 6.19 For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Later, St. Paul writes, Romans 6, verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And then, verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. So there are these two options. Slaves, a slave to impurity, a slave to lawlessness, a slave to sin, or a slave to God, a slave to righteousness, a slave to life. On the one hand, there is a giving of yourself, of your, of your body, of your members, says St. Paul. That is your hands and your feet and your mouth and your mind. There is a giving of these things over to impurity, giving them over to sin. And this, says St. Paul, is slavery. This is the same thing that our dear Lord Jesus teaches. When He says, truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. That's John 8, 34. The slave to sin. And here's what that means. The slave to sin is a sinner who is unrepentant, who sins with no thought of the sin or with no burden in their conscience, or, and I think this perhaps applies to the Christian, it is the sinner who sins and feels and knows that sin in their conscience but refuses to repent, to admit their sin. They don't want to admit that what they're doing is wrong. They don't want to admit that what they're doing is a sin because then they know that they would have to change, that they would have to make an effort to stop that particular sin, whatever it is. And this is the way, dear saints, that a heart is hardened. It is the way that your conscience is dulled when you feel the pain of a sin that you've committed in your conscience and you don't listen to it. You ignore it. You push it down. You don't confess your sin. At least you don't confess that sin. And the more that this happens, the better we become at ignoring our conscience and living the way that we want. Now I know that I'm talking in abstraction about sin here, about particular sins. But I suspect that there are in each of your lives a particular sin. In each of your own heart, a sin or an act or a deed or a pattern that comes to mind when I'm talking about this thing. And it's these particular sins, the breaking of these particular commandments for each one of us that the devil is using to damage our consciences and to make us his slaves. 
And this is the terribly ironic part of all of this. For we think that when we sin and do what we want to do according to our flesh, we think that that means that we are being free. I can do whatever I want, after all, so I'm going to go over here and do this sin. We think that this is freedom, but it is not. St. Paul says clearly that this is precisely what it means to be a slave to sin. And this slavery is a slavery of the worst kind, for this slavery to sin leads to death. Romans 6.16 Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Romans 6.21 But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things that you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And then Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. Slavery to sin leads to death. And now, here is the danger for us. For all of us have heard the gospel. We have heard that the Lord Jesus has done everything for us, everything for our salvation, and that He forgives us freely, grace alone, pure grace. But our sinful flesh with the help of the devil, takes that pure gospel, that word of life and forgiveness, and he uses that forgiveness to make us slaves to sin. Here's how it happens. Instead of using the gospel to forgive our sins, which is what Jesus has in mind, the devil uses the gospel to excuse our sins. Again, instead of using the gospel to forgive sins, the devil wants to use the gospel to excuse sins. And this is a terrible, in fact, one of the most terrible confusions of law and gospel. Imagine it this way. Here we are, here on Sunday morning, July 18th. Don't let the bulletin fool you. July 18th. And all of us have sins that we've committed in the past, sins that, are, that stand behind us, sins that we committed this morning, sins that we committed last night, sins that we all committed last week and last month and last year. We have sins behind us. And when I look back on my own sins, the Lord wants me to first recognize them as sins, but also to recognize them as forgiven by the gospel covered by the blood of Jesus. When we look at the past, we should look at it through the lens of the gospel. The devil wants us to do the opposite. He wants us to look at the past, not through the forgiveness of sins. He wants wants us to look at the past, not through the gospel, but rather through the lens of the the law. He, He wants to say to us, how could you have done such a thing? And you call yourself a Christian. There's no forgiveness to you. And so the devil wants us to look use the law to look back and so bind us in despair. On the other hand, when we look ahead and we consider the future, what lies ahead of us in the next hour, in the next 
to this afternoon, tonight, in the weeks and months that the Lord might give us if He extends our life that long, when we consider the temptations and the choices that stand waiting for us in the future, then we should wear the glasses of the law. I should do this, and I shouldn't do that. It is God's will, what He's told me. There are good works waiting for us in the future. And by the Holy Spirit, we look to them and we pray for them and we give them a good shot. But again, the devil wants to mess things up. For while the Lord wants us to look at the past with the gospel, the devil wants us to see it with the law. And while the Lord wants us to look at the future with the law, the devil wants us to look at the future with the gospel. Like this. Oh, yeah, there's that temptation coming along. There's that opportunity to sin. Go ahead and do it. Don't worry about it. After all, Jesus will forgive you. Do you see? And that is not using the gospel to forgive your sins, but to excuse your sins. That's not using the gospel to calm your conscience. That's using the gospel to destroy your conscience. That's not using the gospel as the Lord intends it to bring about life. That's abusing the gospel to bring about death. And if we have this temptation to use the gospel as an excuse to sin, then it is no gospel. It is what St. Paul says, a slavery to sin and to lawlessness. Do you see what I'm talking about? And the result of this misuse of the gospel of using the gospel to excuse the sins that we plan on doing. The result of it all is a hardened heart, a crusty conscience, and ears that are clogged to hearing the gospel. The result is often some sort of addiction to a particular sin. And this is an extremely dangerous spiritual condition. Now, dear friends... If you are thinking to yourself, that's me. That's my conscience. This is the burden and the slavery that I've been dragging around all of this time. That I have been using the gospel not for the forgiveness of sins, but for the exclusion of sins. That I want to say to you in particular two things. First, please come and visit me. Call my cell phone or call the office. We'll set up a time and we'll sit down and talk. For this sort of thing is exactly what private absolution is for. To break away the hard crust that forms on our conscience and to bring in the healing word of forgiveness. What good is a pastor? You might be asking yourself that question, but here it is. What good is a pastor if he can't help with this sort of stuff? And don't worry when you do, because I know something about each of you. I know that you are a sinner, and you know the same thing about me. The surprise in all of this is not our sinfulness, but the Lord's mercy and His forgiveness. And that's how we have life. The surprise is the gospel, that the Lord Jesus looks on us miserable sinners and He says to us that you are forgiven, that you are perfect, that you are holy, that you are His. And this is the second thing that I want to say to you. If this describes you, 
I want you to hear these words clearly. Your sin, even even the sin of misusing the gospel to excuse your sinful life, even the sin of despising God's grace, even this sin is forgiven. Even this sin is died for by Jesus. Even this is covered by His blood. For this slavery to sin, this bondage to uncleanliness, this, dear saints, is what the Lord Jesus has rescued you from. This is what you died to when you were baptized. Romans 6, 4, You were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 7, For the one who has died has been set free from sin. And Romans 6, 11, and 12, You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. For while we were born on the one hand into a slavery of sin, we have, on the other hand, been born into a slavery to righteousness, a slavery to God, a slavery to life, and to freedom. Romans 6.22 But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. The slave to God is the repentant sinner. It is the sinner who hears God's law and knows their guilt, and then the sinner who hears the gospel and knows the Lord's forgiveness. The slave to righteousness knows their sin, and more, they know their Jesus and His death and His resurrection and His blood and His forgiveness. The slave to righteousness are slaves to this righteousness because Jesus has called us righteous and given us His holiness. To be a slave to righteousness does not mean to be perfect in everything that we say and do and think. It doesn't mean to have a perfect life or perfect thoughts or perfect motives. It means a life of repentance and faith. It means that we trust in the death of Jesus and we know that that death was for me. It means to know the depth of the Lord's sorrow over sin and then to know the height of the Lord's love for us. To be a slave of righteousness is to know Know the cross of Jesus and that nothing can separate us from His love. It is to know that we will be forever and ever in eternal life. Not because what we have done, but because of what He has done for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. And dear friends, Jesus, in His death and in His resurrection has made you exactly this. Slaves 
to righteousness. Slaves to life. May the, may the dear Lord Jesus grant us His Holy Spirit that we may know His smile, His love, His forgiveness and grace and so be both now and forever slaves of Him, His righteousness, and His life. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.